Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Hey, welcome back to our first episode of season two of the Disbelieve Land is Your Land podcast, uh, which I know Mike is going to be super excited when we never have to say again. Um, bro, it feels great that football season is finally here. Uh, have you guys heard that Odell Beckham plays for the Cleveland Browns? <laughs> I spent a good 10 minutes doing that with buddies yesterday, just sending text messages around like, hey, I don't know if you heard the news this offseason, but Odell Beckham is on the Browns. I'm an elite player, but dude's breaking ankles, dude's snagging one-handed catches that look like giraffes. It's, it's, <laughs> camp is off to a crazy start, man, and I can't be any more excited. I know you share the same sentiment. That was a that was a great uh, tweet from Paul Brown earlier today, comparing the Odell Beckham catch pose with one hand to a giraffe. It's uncanny. And if you I guys haven't no, seen it, yeah. please check it out. Why did I laugh so hard? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but I was I was laughing. I showed that one around the table at dinner. Everyone got a good laugh out of it. It feels like a like this is a Browns fans wet dream. This last like two days, this is absolutely like everybody came to camp healthy and ready to go, and everybody immediately started doing boss shit. Like there was no layover there was no slow start it wasn't like previous years camp started 15 minutes later my timeline is dudes catching crazy passes and touchdowns it was it was money and not just that but you can just sense and maybe I'm reading too much into the first couple of days of camp but the tone is kind of being set they're staying late I mean in terms of the practice it's not ending early it's they're actually ending late they're they're pushing the guys to get the most out of them and then the guys are sticking around just like they do it in every every city but the guys are sticking around and getting that extra work in so it's just it's a good vibe early on man it's it's if, if you had any any doubts if you thought maybe that we'd put the brakes on if you thought maybe you know we'd kind of come back down to reality I mean these first couple of days of camp have done nothing <laughs> to make that the case <laughs> yeah you're right and I on that note it was really nice to see I think it was Breer it was one of the NFL guys because there's a thousand NFL guys that are at camp this year which is also a big change from previous years there's the local beat and then a hundred national guys who we like a lot more no offense to local beat guys you know who we are you know, you know who we love here they all talked about how important the fundamentals were this year they're like this team is working on the basics they're making sure that everything's locked in early in camp as far as footwork as far as hand uh, fighting goes as far as where people are supposed to be at what times uh, the tone is just 180 degrees different than it was last year. I know we dog on him a lot, but it's awesome to see Miles working with Chad Thomas on the, the hand placement stuff. I mean, the guy, he has the opportunity to at least make an impact this year and turn us all into, you know, a bunch of idiots. But I'm, I'm totally down for that. It would be a great surprise. But that kind of stuff you love to see. You love to see the national media guys pointing out, like you said, the intricacies, just the technique. Uh, you know, this is how we want to do it, and the coaches are hands-on with it. You, you just like to see that. Yeah, you know what else underrated has been a phenomenal opening to camp? That there's no drama. There's no BS, and it's really easy to scan around the league and see all of the drama that's kind of broiling over at other people's facilities. I loved having to listen to discomfort from Jerry Jones as he tried to explain the holdout situation with, with Zeke, and I loved watching Rivers – 
basically doing the same thing that everyone got on uh, Baker for doing, for, for getting involved in the, uh, the nonsense with Melvin Gordon, which, you know, we talked about it on the previous show. Like, it is nonsense. The guy can hold out. He's just going to be under contract for next year. He doesn't gain anything with a holdout. So that's just, like, that's just silliness. And it's just – it feels like this is a weird year for lockouts. There's a lot of stuff around the league where um, a lot of teams have guys holding out just because – there's no, there's no animosity. They don't feel like they're being slighted. It's just that point in their contract. Guys like uh, Michael Thomas and Jadivian Clowney, I, I don't think that they want to leave. I don't think that they're disgruntled. They just they're at a point in their contract where they're this is the thing you do. And I think as a result of that, you know, Trent Williams is another one in in DC. There's just a lot of weirdness with contract situations all around the league. I'm, I kind of side with, with with where you're at and, and the you know the analysis of it. Guys are just at that point where they feel out, outplayed a little bit of where they're at right now and they yeah. want to kind of cure up what's next for them, but it's, it's coming at the expense maybe of, you know, some important snaps with the team uh, who knows how long they're going to hold out for. So it could come at the expense of the season. I mean, there's a lot of different ways this could go, but potentially for the Browns with, with Williams and, and, you know, from Washington, that, that could kind of become something that we poke around a little bit more from the offensive line standpoint, depending on how things go. Of all of those Four guys that I just mentioned, mentioned Trent Williams, Ezekiel Elliott, Michael Thomas, Jadavion Clowney. Trent Williams is the one that feels like something might bust loose. Like he might actually end up playing on another team this year, right? Like, do you get that vibe? Because I definitely do. Yeah, it seems like he's unhappy. He, out of those guys, he might be the one guy that's unhappy. I don't know. Where he's, also the only guy, he's also the only guy out of that group that's playing on a crappy team. Like the rest of them are major contributors on contenders. Sure, yeah. But you know what? It's interesting. There's a lot of layers to that that apply to the Daniel situation in signing with Detroit today. Just like McCoy, he wanted to go play for a contender, per se. Yeah. Then he turns around and plays for you know, a team in the division for, for more money. Maybe not even more snaps or you know, that he would get elsewhere. Um, and supposedly four other teams offered him more money than he got. So he got like seven guaranteed with a, a ten, a pretty much $9.1 million for one year. So I have a really hard time, to, you know, thinking the Browns would have been one of those teams to offer more. And in, in with that same kind of mindset, you know, depending on what Williams wants, we may not be in the market for him. Because like you said the last show, after paying so many guys, there's there's just not enough money to, to pay any more guys. So it's going to be interesting to see if if it's you know if we go after him what that uh, dollar amount looks like yeah and i thought you made a really good point on twitter about that when you talked about how like there's going to be a lot of dudes who are due to get paid luke last week was like pay the man pay the man talking about demarius randall you start paying the mans you start throwing out 10 million dollars for you know old and and 30 is an old but a guy who's been injury prone who's going to be a rotational backup um, you start throwing around money for that, like that, and and you find yourself in a really difficult cap, uh, cap situation really quickly. And I do think that Randall gets done quickly here, and I do think that there's some other guys that they're going to look to extend. And that already like vast gulf of cap space that we saw before last season is going to shrink before we know it. So I thought that that was a really good point that you made. Also, the other point that you made without making is that these guys don't really give a crap for the most part about. Uh, playing for a contender you know Carolina is probably the second to worst team in that division I don't think they're in the same zip code as Atlanta and uh, New Orleans just personally and I think that the Detroit Lions are easily incontrovertibly the worst team in that division so and and that's that's nothing against the Detroit Lions like that's just a really nasty division that's the probably the toughest division top to bottom in football and and he chose to go play there so there's probably more than there's there's probably more than we see involved in the situation. I would really like to know 
why uh, why why Dorsey's pitches are falling so flat. I'd like to know what his valuation is, and I'm I'm hoping that it's all driven from that analytics staff that's still hanging around that is saying you can't afford for guys who are not going to be starters to to dish out this kind of money because you know every team has to pay out premiums at certain positions, yep. um, and you've already invested a lot of money in Sheldon Richardson. You've already invested a lot of money in Olivier Vernon, and you're going to have to pay. Uh, Ogan Joby and Garrett soon. So if you have a lot of money tied up in that front four, you can't be throwing $10 million contracts on, on backups or at least, yep. at least that's where it's at. And then the Legion of fans will come back and say, well, we're paying Chris Smith X, Y, Z. And, and that's probably true, but that was before they had the, the defensive line that they have now. Right. Absolutely. We faulted Dorsey for his, his cap space management in the past. And, and we've, we've bitched about him not being shrewd enough. And then now it seems like he has been shrewd in approaching to, you know, high price free agents that we'd like to have nice to have not need to have because he already has you know the, the set starters in place and Crazy. he's been and he's been shrewd and you know we can't also get mad at him for not landing those guys because of his valuation not the evaluation but the valuation so we're, we're at that point in time like we talked about on, on multiple episodes before where we're gonna have to let guys walk and be okay with it or let them pass by and be okay with it however i'm also curious to know if dorsey and the staff are kind of taking this in and wondering how much of that allure, to your point, of being playing for a contender is going to draw guys in without the money? You know what I mean. Yeah. So they have to kind of see, kind of use this maybe as a as a litmus test for how much how much weight does that actually hold as they go into negotiations in the future. Yeah, and my last point, and I'll probably catch a rash of shit for this, but I think that when you're the Browns and you're going from a team that thought it was going to compete last year, but very quickly was back in its normal condition and that, that kind of jumped up into a competitive team, this is still a feeling it out year somewhat. Like they're a Super Bowl contender, they're a playoff contender, say whatever you want. This team is stacked and they'll, they'll compete and they'll win. But they still got to figure out a lot of their identity. This is still the first year with a new coach, first year with a new defensive coordinator. We don't know how the players are all going to fit in the schemes. This team will have a much more subtle identity next offseason. And I, and I get that you're never going to want to waste a year of any of these guys' primes, and I don't think they are. I think that they're going for it this year. But I think that these kind of decisions about uh, cap space and financing and who they need to bring in and who is uh, respectable depth behind them are going to be solved during the season rather than, than, than making a secondary and tertiary uh, backup plan for it now. Even Mike Silver is on the Browns bus, man. Did you see that? No. no, Not that you care, but that it matters or, or you know, garners <laughs> much respect. But even he's like, dude, these guys are legit Super Bowl contenders. And Ooh, so I think – I think every team in the NFL comes into the season saying, hey, we're going to win the Super Bowl, right? You have to. That's just the mindset of these guys. But I think it's just different this year. Like, I feel like from the, the coaching staff through, through, through Baker, through everybody, there is that – I get the sense anyways that their intentions and their goal of winning is absolutely legit. And, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think they're waiting for next year, but I think they just have to be uh, – you know, they have to be smart with their decisions here, so – I think you're right. Um, and being smart with your decisions is, is weird for us. This is this, <laughs> a training camp. Like I, I got to admit, like it's weird. This has been a really bizarre training camp in that, like we've just seen so much of the same nonsense for, you know, a couple decades that I feel like I'm in the upside down that, that everything now is completely flipped from, from what I'm used to. Um, yep. And so I'm, I'm kind of thinking about everything in terms of, of that, of just like a year ago, how different it all was. And like, I think that, yeah, 
Brennan Leister and, and Jake Burns were tweeting through uh, camp and, and multiple times they would say something and, and I would have to catch myself and think, well, that's, this is a new reality. This is a new world. This isn't, this isn't the same Browns world that we used to live in. I, we could probably rattle off 10 or, or 12 different quotes from, from last year that will live on in, in infamy and in eternity. <laughs> know from the i drive the bus quote you know i drive this bus i mean there's just a lot of different things from so last let's, year let's start there so so i drive this bus what yep. that said to us for browns fans who were watching hard knocks and who saw this you saw hugh jackson uh giving a hard time to todd haley who was kind of tilting at the windmill of the way that the browns were practicing and the way that they were uh construct like their attitudes and the way that they were training and the way that they were in the the grouping rooms and that was all driven off of a question from Todd or from Freddie Kitchens, who wanted to know why players who weren't on the field, who were, were out with injury or out on the side with trainers, weren't involved in the installation. They weren't installed in walkthroughs. They were basically being excused from activities that they could have participated in and taken mental reps from. And uh, Freddie Kitchens took a took umbrage at that, and Hugh Jackson used that as an opportunity to talk about himself. This year, what's the case this year? This year, it's just, it seems like it's a, a complete collaboration. I mean, you know, you have, you have Freddie saying, oh, Odell's got a YouTube channel. Hope, hope I get on that channel. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's like a family. And it, and it seems like a family where your head coach is a, is a nice guy, but he totally is going to grind you and hold you accountable to his standards. And it's a very good collaboration where guys have a very clear vision of how they want to work together and how they're going to get the best out of these players and this team. And it's, it's not a, I've been here, so I know better than you, or I'm the head coach and you're not. It's, dude, we're, we're, all, we're all in this together. So what do you got that you think can make us better? I'll listen. And the first instance, the first instance that we saw that this was different was when we heard the rumors, I think it was during OTAs, that – Todd Munkin and Freddie Kitchens were butting heads a little bit about how they choose to execute their offensive game plan and make no bones about it. This is Freddie Kitchens offense. He's calling plays. Todd Munkin is here to infuse the offense with his downfield passing attack, which is one of the best in the league last year. And to, to kind of mind meld with Freddie Kitchens about how they want to attack defenses. And he is an enormously valuable resource. So I'm, I'm grateful that he's here, but immediately you started to hear reports as the offense spluttered a little bit in OTAs that Kitchens was concerned immediately without fanfare today. Freddie Kitchens says couldn't be further from the truth. He and Munkin are working hand in hand that everything seems uh, exactly like where they expected to be at this stage in camp. Now, it's a, a growing process and that things take a little bit of time to get going. Um, that's not the fan in me. That's not the rose colored glasses. That's exactly what's happening right now. You're merging two very different offensive philosophies into one uh, cogent offensive scheme. And you know what? The last two days, the offense has been humming. And yep. it's not just on YouTube. This is, this is from reports that are out there from guys who've been watching this for two, two uh, straight years of the, the Hugh Jackson routine. It's a completely different ballgame now. The ball's sipping. We're seeing touchdowns. We're seeing crisp efficiency. We're seeing Baker kept upright. There isn't a lot of uh, scrambling around or backyard football. It looks like the offense is executing on schedule. Yeah, which is, I think, what you kind of expect in Shell. Last year at this time, we were, we were wondering and hoping about Josh Gordon. This year, we have probably, arguably, the, one of the top three wide receivers in the NFL going and showing exactly why he is that. And it's, it's just not a question if he's here. It's not, oh, 
I, you know, he missed OTAs. It, it's, you can clearly see none of that shit matters. Like he is out there just being him. So stark contrast between the two seasons um, last year and this year with, with that in mind. Yeah. And I think that every year I'm used to in Brown's camp, the Josh lenses of the world being legitimate options for, for taking scrimmage snaps from this team, because a, you didn't know what you were going to get out of guys like Corey Coleman. You didn't know what you were going to get out of guys like Muhammad Massaqua. You didn't know if a Carlton Mitchell was ever going to have the lights come on. These were guys that you were hoping and you were hoping that would take the next leap from year to year. You never knew. And you never had any uh, evidence to prove that kind of a point this year, the top three guys, Jarvis Landry, Shard Higgins, OBJ, they have nothing to prove. They know where they're playing. They're the unquestioned number one receivers. They're all reliable hands catchers. In fact, you know, two of those guys, that is their calling card, is to catch everything. And it was a, a problem to see Jarvis Landry kind of step away from that last year. And there's no reason to think that that continues into 2019. But the receiving core is set. And you can start to look at guys at the bottom of the chart for special teams and not have to worry. And those guys aren't going to worry about being judged exclusively or getting cut, whether or not they, they do well on special teams. They can focus exclusively on it. And you can see guys like Derek Willis or like Damian Ratley who were, who were – depth guys who got playing time in scrimmage snaps last year as depth guys this year who will be ready to step in and there won't be this complete lack of chemistry. There won't be a lack of familiarity in the system. They'll just come in and immediately be able to execute on day one. And that's a beautiful thing. That's what good teams do. And we talked about that, you know, at length in the off season here when there wasn't much to talk about, it was the Browns are in a different position. Now we have, we have all our starters set on almost, you know, every position on the field. So now anybody that they're drafting, anyone that they're bringing in, you know, that guy just has the potential and the opportunity to, to learn and, and be ready to step in when his name is called. And I think you're seeing that to your point. Like you said, now we're focusing on the, the depth guys to see how they're doing. You're see, you see that at all the positions right now. It's, there's an exciting kind of a developmental stage on, on our roster that is, is really fun to watch. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, it's beautiful, like we saw in previous years, to not have any of these late-round picks immediately be expected to step in and contribute and be starters. You aren't even seeing the guys in the third and fourth rounds, guys who they feel strongly about, like uh, Sion Takitaki. These guys aren't expected to step in and immediately be able to contribute on day one. If they beat somebody out, beautiful, amazing. I'm excited about it. They're elite, you know, Takitaki's an elite athlete with a mean streak. He's, he's a lot more flexible than some of the linebackers we have. I know you are big on his talent, but he doesn't have to contribute on day one. Which is a wonderful thing. You're finally seeing guys slowly work their way into the system, which is something, again, good NFL teams do. Good NFL teams draft guys, especially in the middle of the draft, and let them get comfortable before they're expressed into duty. And you know what? When they come in, there's this enormous uh, mental lapse waiting to happen on every single play as these guys try and get the game at, at full speed. Yep. They can focus right now on, on their technique and, and learning how to play the position and what's being requested of them and, and required of them at the NFL level. The, the rest is going to take care of itself when the pads come on and the physicality of the game is, is you know, a, a recipe for every practice. You're going to find out a lot more about these guys at that point in time, too. I agree. And I'm glad that the coaches go into it knowing that. You heard Freddie Kitchens talking about it today. He said, when the pads go on, it completely changes the nature of practice and you learn a lot more about guys. And he's looking forward to it. We're all looking forward to it. I'm not looking forward to having more guys on the bike brigade because that's, you know, something that's going to happen over the next couple of weeks as pads come on. Guys will get dinged up. Um, but for once, I'm glad that in most positions on the field, the Browns have a little bit of depth. They'll be able to rotate a little bit uh, more heavily. And you won't, uh, you won't have a, a drop-off from elite high-end starter to seventh-round draft pick on drafted free agent immediately in most positions. You have a, a couple guys ahead of them. I was laughing about the um, – 
the Cliff Kingsbury quote today where he's like, we're going to find out about your fourth cornerback. And I was like, good luck with that offensive line letting four wide receivers get open long enough for, for you to find out about my fourth cornerback. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know if other fans feel the same way about their third and fourth wide cornerbacks, uh, but if Terrence Mitchell and uh, TJ Carey are our third and fourth cornerbacks, that's all right, man. These are, these are NFL players. Carey's been burned a couple times. I think last camp and this camp, there's some, there's some footage of him out there at camp that isn't so great, but he improved <laughs> as, as the year went on last year. And yeah, as our third or fourth guy, aside from his contract, he's, uh, he's definitely serviceable. And Mitchell played very well last year. I expect him to kind of battle it out with, with Greedy for that uh, you know, CB2 spot, and we'll, we'll see what happens. I like that Greedy is taking that very seriously. He's got three interceptions through two days and has looked wonderful. He's looked fluid. Um, he's, he's, he's looked nice in press man and in off coverage, which he's been doing a lot more of the latter, unfortunately, in camp. I hope that as the pads come on, we see a little bit more press. Uh, for a guy with his skill set, we've, we've all kind of agreed that that's where he needs to be in order to, to really utilize his skill set. But, yeah, I think T.J. Carey got better last year because he had to play so many snaps and because he had to cover guys like Julio Jones. He has no business having to cover, but it was kind of like Peppers uh, playing free safety where he wasn't uh, naturally suited for. It, it made him a better strong safety when he shifted over. I, I think the same will be true for all of these guys, and, and having some depth there will be really nice. I am very curious to see who comes out of the woodwork as the – uh, fifth and sixth guys should they choose to keep them which they likely will um behind those four because i think uh, that'll be really really telling dude I'm, I'm i'm stoked about greedy let me just say that i i'm a big fan of greedy um uh, been waiting for for the coverage of the cornerbacks to kind of come on here in day two looking forward to hearing more about the safety group you know when you get down to that second or third uh guy on the list you know what's that going to look like Who who's it going to be where does he fit in I'm not going to say to be concerned about, but certainly to look at from a defensive perspective is, is how often we're playing off versus press because we've got two yeah. guys that, that really belong playing press. And I understand there's a scheme thing, but I'd really hope that we, uh, you know, we don't kind of miss that opportunity to, to be more physical with teams and, and to control and, and give our, our defensive line time, extra time to get to the quarterback. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, I hear where you guys are coming from. I think that they'll mix it up pretty well. I get that it may not be the, the playing zone may not be the strength of this team, but I do appreciate that they will, they will coming out of camp have the ability to do both at at least a passing level. Um, one thing I will say about the defense that I did find really heartwarming is that there is no uh, 4-3 base on the field for every single play. We are not seeing three linebackers on the field constantly from what every all indications are through two days of camp that this team is basically going to be a 4 2 team, and they're going to play a ton of DBs, which given the relative inexperience of the talented uh, linebackers on this team, combined with the depth that they have at uh, defensive back and some of the guys like Whitehead, who, who can really kind of tweener, who can play both, who can come down to the box and, and, and be like a pseudo linebacker, I just think that's how this team is, is best constructed, and I think that's how best uh, modern defenses are constructed with the way that guys are throwing the ball. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that that you can't be any more accurate about that. Um, that that's kind of a an antiquated defense at this point in time, given given the uh, the love for passing the ball and you know Patrick Mahomes and the guys that are just slinging it all over the place. You gotta you gotta match and adjust. Um, you, you bring up Whitehead, and you know that dude's name continues to come up here and there. And I, I'm really intrigued because I didn't really pay attention to him that much last year, and mm. I, I just I keep on hearing his name come up. Again, I'm going to need to, to put out the bat signal to whoever it is in the, the, the media team out there at camp to give me some more on him so, so I can, uh, I guess, 
satiate my, 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 my thirst for, for, for whitehead information before we get to yeah. a preseason game. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing how he looks next week with pads on and, and seeing how he looks in the orange and brown scrimmage. But what I do know is he was really well thought of uh, by the staff here. They were very excited to have him come over. And all through this offseason, they've been really high on him. They, they consider him a, a rotation player, um, whether he's on the field to start or he comes in regularly. Like, he's going to get some snaps. So it's going to be uh, very interesting to see how, how he plays. I'm, I'm very intrigued about it. Um, it's really like it's 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 an open-ended world so far with the uh, the way the camp is constructed and what we we have going forward. I think there's a lot of really interesting uh, types of questions that we're going to see answered over the course of the next week. Yeah, no, absolutely. Again, I, I want to keep on focusing on the offensive line as well to see what's shaking up at, at right guard and see what's happening on the bookend. See how those guys are doing. I think you know Freddie gave uh, a pretty big blessing. Well. It is camp. That's what he has to do. But he, he did give a very nice uh, blessing yesterday of, of Robinson and, and what he's been doing since he came back. And so, yeah, just I, that's another area that I'm, I'm, I'm keen to, to keep an eye on as well as we progress here through camp. Yeah, and that's the big key with the uh, passing attack that Todd Monken's going to bring. A lot of what kept the offense as effective as it was was Baker got the ball out of his hands quickly. That wasn't an offense that was designed uh, to, to, to wait to see things develop. And that isn't to say that he didn't – uh, that they just got that, that he just immediately threw to the to the first out route guy who came over. He had the ball in his hands for a respectable amount of time, but he was very decisive with, with it. There wasn't a lot of kind of waiting for somebody on a scramble drill to come open. So that helped out Greg Robinson a lot. And it'll be interesting to see as they wait for a little bit more to happen on offense this year, maybe than they did last year, uh, how how he holds up under that rush. What's going to be interesting is the, the theme that I keep seeing from the wide receivers and something that I saw last year with Higgins, something that comes very naturally to OBJ, um, something that even Landry can do uh, pretty well is, is getting separation. And when you get easy separation for those guys, it's, it's going to help the offensive line out because they're not going to have to you know, hold those, those blocks for as long as, as you may if you, if you took a little bit longer, even a half second longer. And Baker's right. going to be decisive with the ball. So if Higgins can continue to get that easy separation, uh, if OBJ obviously continues to do that, on down the list, it's going to make the offensive line's job a little bit easier as well. I think we yeah. just have a true recipe for such a dynamic offense this year. I just I can't wait, man. Yeah, right. And when your offense hums, I hate like I hate to be this guy, but when your offense hums, your offensive linemen are so much less important. I know that guys in the middle are, are crucial for a, sh- a shorter quarterback, but I've watched Tom Brady for what fifteen years now, just playing behind nobody that you've ever heard of. Like occasionally they have a, a, a Nate Sauter or right. Uh, you know, I'm struggling to even come up with other names. Like most of their guys are junk heap guys. They're, they're mid-round picks and they're undrafted free agents. I think that like three of their linemen right now are undrafted free agents because it just doesn't matter. They, yeah. they, they, they do their job and Brady gets the ball out quickly and that's, and that's that. Yeah, it's funny you bring that up. I was watching the Super Bowl replay the other day and I, there was an all-22 angle from behind, you know, behind the line of scrimmage. I was like, who the hell are these guys? I don't even know <laughs> any of these names. Like obviously they're good, but it's like to your point, um, they're able to to just with good quarterback play and with wide receivers that get open, it helps your offensive line look look better. And I think John made the point in some podcasts in the offseason as well that you know you don't need to be an elite offensive line; you just need to be average. Uh, you know, because the the gap from average to elite isn't as big as from average down to to shitty, right? And yeah, so, I remember I remember hearing that, but I, the name doesn't totally ring a bell. I, somebody said that. 
But, nah. but- <laughs> oh, John, those are fighting words. Um, yeah, John, come on the show. Come on the show and prove me wrong, John. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Shut me um, up. I did you. <laughs> We're, um, we're, we're, all, we're, we're completely kidding here. We are, are missing our third uh, podcast host. Our, our third host has been in the midst of uh, moving into a new place and dealing with a new kid, which I'm sure you guys have all seen pictures of on social media. Um, but we miss you, John. Come back we on. Do. We do. But I want to continue to piggyback off that point. Is so, so what, One of the other guys that I, that I follow on Twitter from Raiders Nation, he's a local Hawaii boy, made a point to me about um, – Imagine if our, you know, if our defense gets turnovers, even one or two a game, because you know, we're kind of set up that way right now. Can you imagine giving Baker and this offense another drive or two every game? You know, it's going it's to allow us to hang so many more points up. And, again, if we're humming like we are, it's – I'm and that's so what, And that's the difference between sacks and pressures. Everybody talks about it. Like, pressures are important mm-hmm. because they, they force quarterbacks to make bad decisions and yada, yada, yada. But sacks are drive killers. Sacks are essentially turnovers in a lot of states, in a lot of uh, scenarios. If you have a second and seven, and you take a seven-yard sack, and now it's third and fourteen, and I know like third and fourteen for for the Browns doesn't really mean anything because you've had Horton and Greg Williams, we've had tight end crossers that they go for 14, 15 yards every time. But for for a good defense, third and fourteen, third and fifteen is a death knell because um, you can send the house and they have no time to, to to let their receivers get open in that in that frame. Yep. So, um, yeah. Exciting stuff. I, I was going somewhere with that, I'm sure. Tell us where you're going, Josh. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's an exciting time to be a Browns fan. You know, um, I'm sure our seven listeners out there are, are just as excited as we are. And, you know, I think what we're going to try to maybe get back on uh, into the studio on Saturday or Sunday uh, once another couple of days of uh, camp are underway here and share some more of our thoughts and, and uh, analysis from, from what we got there. Absolutely. Next two days are going to be really prescriptive. We're going to learn a lot more about who this team is and how they're constructed based on what happens when these pads come on. I know everyone's excited to see it, and uh, we'll be here to tell you about it when it happens. In the meantime, uh, Mike, thank you very much for joining me, as always. Uh, looking forward to talking story about the Browns in a couple of days. Always good to see your face with a little less sunburn. And uh, <laughs> hell yeah, man. Let's get this. 2019 season is officially underway. Go Browns, baby. Go Browns. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it then in that moment. You don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. 
In the Vergecast series Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of like afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts.